Okay, Um, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to the book of John and chapter 12? I think I've seen that some Bibles may have already been given out, but if you don't have a copy of the Bible but would like to look in one, just uh, raise a hand and one will be brought to you. While I get myself sorted, we're going to be looking at John chapter 12, um, at some of Jesus' words. Uh, And so we begin reading in a moment in verse 20, John 12 and verse 20. It says this, Now there were some Greeks amongst those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Uh, Since Monday afternoon, just been spending a little bit of time in the scriptures, and in particular in these verses here, um, and I'm pleased to say that I have three points And it gives me even greater pleasure to say they all begin with the same letter. Um, There are three things, in other words, that um, that I feel could could help us in beginning to to process uh, Arnold's passing away uh, by looking at this passage. Obviously, the passage itself is primarily focused on Jesus, and so we're going to look at Jesus and look at Jesus' words. But then through that, we're also going to see how some application could land with us um, uh, this morning. The first thing um, that I see in this, in this passage, focusing in particular, really, I suppose, from verses 23 onwards, Jesus' own words from his lips, as it were. Uh, the, the first thing that I've, I've seen there is, uh, is pain, or more particularly, a, a painful prediction. Jesus replies, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He, he begins by saying, the hour has come. And in the book of John, there are a whole number of references to Jesus' hour or Jesus' time. Um, before chapter 12 and verse 23, he's been saying that his hour has not yet come, that his time has not yet come. But there's something that happens here um, when he hears what these uh, Greek guys are saying. It's not only people from Israel that are interested in hearing his message. Um, It's it's Greek uh, men too that want to gather to him. That triggers something and he realizes, okay, yes. Um, He now realizes the hour has come. It's no longer is yet to come. It's come. And he goes on to say, "I, I tell you the truth. 
In other translations that can be uh, rendered truly, truly, or very truly, or in my words, that's listen up. What I'm about to say is very true. This isn't kind of vague or random speculation. Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention. This is, this is big truth. This is very, this is very true. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. There is the, the painful prediction. It's interesting because in verse 23, Jesus says, you know, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, that, that sounds great. That sounds good. We'll take that. Um, well, it becomes clear what he, may, what he means um, by that glory. Yes, the, the, the kernel of wheat is going to fall to the ground and die. Jesus knows that his death um, is uniquely necessary for all of humanity. Uh, interestingly, this isn't the only time that Jesus predicted his death before the occasion. Uh, there are a whole number of occasions in the Gospels, where with his disciples or others, he begins to explain what's going to happen. Sometimes he does that kind of obliquely by telling a parable. Sometimes he just does it very directly. Yet we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be given into the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Uh, they're going to beat him and flog him and spit on him uh, and crucify him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Uh, what's interesting is that when the disciples hear those kind of predictions... Typically, um, they completely misunderstand. Uh, so Luke, Luke 18, for example, Luke 18 and verse 34, Jesus gives um, a very direct prediction there. Verse 31 onwards, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written uh, by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. A very clear prediction, but they're perplexed by it. We also see in Mark and chapter 9, verse 32, a similar occasion where Jesus predicts his death and a similar reaction from the disciples. Um, in verse 32, says again, but they did not understand what he meant and also were afraid to ask him about it. So why that misunderstanding? Why uh, even it says in the, in the, in the part in, in Mark, they were afraid to ask more. Well, why the misunderstanding? Why the fear? Well, I think at least a partial reason is this. No disciple of Jesus would want him to go. They'd had three years with him, uh, walking with him, talking with him, being taught by him, observing how he conducted himself, observing him doing the miraculous. And he was their teacher. They were his students. And uh, they wanted to follow in his footsteps, well, they would have wanted him to be around. So as soon as he started making predictions of his death, that's not going to compute. Well, no, we, we need to get fully trained. Jesus, you need to... St- I don't know what's got into you, but you, you need to stick around for a little bit longer because we're going to need you um, if we're to follow in your 
footsteps. Were they feeling after three years fully trained? No, they probably weren't. Um, someone sent a card uh, very kindly through this week and in it just included the phrase, uh, God's training methods may not be ours. Our idea of training is, no, 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 we, we need to, to hold on to this. We need to hold on to this person. And uh, there's, there's more that we can learn. Recently, uh, with a group of other guys, uh, spending time with, with Arnold and just hearing him speak um, on subjects of which he was passionate. Obviously, Jesus, the church, talking about prayer. And uh, I personally have had 13 years. I mean, that's, that's, that's doing pretty well. I've had 13 years um, getting to know Arnold. And uh, even recently, having that evening, just a few of us gathered around, thought, there's more for me, there's more for us to learn here. Um, we've received so much, and yet actually, this is, this is great stuff. This is so challenging, so provoking, so faith-inspiring. Um, I don't feel fully trained yet. Um, and that's why, obviously, the events of this week in particular have had such a, a shocking uh, effect more for us to learn. Um, but we see a pattern repeated many times. I would have thought that Joshua would have hoped that Moses would be able to go with him into the promised land. Oh, you've led us all this time and so well. You've been bringing to us the very word of God. We're now at the very point we're going into the land. I want you to be there. You would imagine Joshua Thinking, You would imagine also that Elisha was actually quite keen that Elijah got to walk on the earth for a little bit longer. And even though Paul, in writing to Timothy and to Timothy, is able to say, yeah, the time of my departure has come, Paul was able to anticipate that. You can pretty much guess what Timothy was feeling about it. No, there's, there's, there's more that I could get from you. There's, there's more teaching there's more example there's more encouragement i i i would i'd love paul to be around for for much longer so it's an uncomfortable ride true disciples will never want their teacher to go because it's not just a relationship that's based on function it's a relationship that's based on love it's a relationship based on we've walked together and we've talked together and we're following you, so keep leading us. Peter um, also kind of uh, maybe had this in mind when on another occasion Jesus predicted his own death in Matthew 16 um, and verse 21. Well, looking on from there, he, he again, Jesus began to explain what was going to happen. Peter took him aside in verse 22 and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus' response is interesting because Jesus tells him, no, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so often, typical human thinking is along the lines of, let's just keep what we've got. Let's... Let's just stay here. Let's maintain things how they are. Um, we want to preserve, don't we? We want to, if we, if we value something, we want to preserve it. We want to bottle it up 
and stay put. When Jesus was transfigured before some of his disciples on top of a mountain, his, his appearance became absolutely glorious. And um, he was seen there actually accompanied by Moses and Elijah. Luke's account of this uh, incident is incredible because in Luke 9 and verse 31 describes the scene, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. It says, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That's what Jesus is talking about with Moses and Elijah. The time for his departure is coming. What are Peter and the other disciples talking about at that point? They're talking about how they can construct some shelters. They've seen something amazing. For them, so far, this is clearly the high points. On top of this mountain, the high point of their experience thus far, walking with Jesus. And in a sense, it's understandable. Their thinking is, their human thinking is, let's just keep this moment as it is. We could make three little huts and... Uh, and you could stay here, and we, it could do, be just us. We never need go down this mountain again. We could just stay in this treasured kind of holy moment, as it were. And um, and maybe there's an, an element for that of us. We just we'd like to stay in the in the special moments. Um, and maybe we can think, oh, we, we've we've had a, a, some high points. If only we could have kind of just preserved them and just stayed put, as it were. But no, actually. The journey goes on. In that situation, the disciples come down the mountain. God's got further work for them to do in his kingdom. And actually, that's not the glorious conclusion of all things. That's not the glorious conclusion of Jesus' ministry right there. Jesus knows, yes, my departure's coming. We need to go to Jerusalem. And, um, and everything that's been written about me will take place. And this will be incredibly painful for the disciples. But even after that, there's, there's more to come. So, we did not have uh, such a stark prediction, um, obviously. Arnold himself uh, was a fighter uh, to the very end. So, he was, he was kind of hardwired, really, to always be thinking, there's more, there's more, there's more. And so, we must press on. And therefore, because I'm leading, I must press on. So he was never one to say, yes, the time of my departure has come. Now he's one who's always seeking to, to press on and take hold of that for which God's taken hold of us. And so although we and he did not have a very stark prediction, actually as a church, we have had some uh, preparation. Earlier this year, a prophetic word came to us about the box about seeing the, the church as a box, and the box was going to be broken up. And um, I think that word also sp- spoke about a shaking happening to the church. And if we took that very literally, we could have pondered, what does this mean? At the time, we would not have had a clue. At the time, I thought, well, maybe that means that the Jubilee Center is just going to be completely leveled um, by an earthquake. Um, well, thankfully, that's not happened. Um, but in another sense, we actually have experienced our earthquake, haven't we? We've experienced a shaking and a breaking up of the box with a slightly painful prediction all those months 
months ago. Now, it's important for us, uh, each time we meet, um, here in other settings as well, just to, to keep moving, to keep taking small steps. Revelation, understanding, may not come in one massive download in one, at one point in time. And actually, whilst there were some dramatic moments for the disciples, understanding Jesus' death didn't come in just one instant moment, as it were. I think there was an element in which uh, it, it progressed. They, they had to take time in the scriptures. They actually had to, they spent time with the risen Lord Jesus, who was explaining those scriptures to them. They were meeting together. They were joining together in prayer. And we see that into the beginning of the book of Acts, um, once Jesus has ascended to heaven as well after his resurrection. And there were times where they were just, they were just together and waiting on God. And uh, I think in terms of dealing with this, this pain, it's helpful to think along similar lines. There's going to be lots of different ways, lots of different times. There's going to be a process as a church and as individuals that we walk through where it's not going to be suddenly, oh, I, oh, I get it. It's, it's all perfectly clear to me now. There's going to be elements, it's going to be ways in which there'll be questions, there'll be different questions for different ones of us that we, we don't want to just completely disregard and completely set aside. At the same time, we need to be careful what we do with those questions in actually bringing them, bringing them to the Word, bringing them to the risen Lord Jesus himself and expecting him to continue to lead us. Uh, so that's the first thing, a, a painful prediction. There's also, uh, secondly, a potent promise. There was this painful prediction, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. It moves on to this potent or powerful promise. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And here we see how Jesus uh, understood his own death. A death, obviously, that is completely unique. No other death could bring about eternal life because no other person than Jesus was qualified to become our mediator. And uh, Paul, when he writes to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy, in chapter 2 and verse 5, um, sums this up there. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. There's one God. And actually there's one mediator. There's one go-between. There's only one person who's uniquely qualified um, to, to kind of uh, mediate between God and us. Otherwise, there's a huge gap. There's a huge void that could never be bridged. We would never come into relationship with the Almighty. We would never know anything of forgiveness. We'd know nothing of eternal life and the hope of the glory to come other than through Jesus being our mediator, the one who goes between, the one who is God and is man. And so his death um, is absolutely unique. Um, and he knew, therefore, that his, his death on the cross was absolutely necessary. For our salvation, it was essential that this single seed, that is Christ, fell to the ground and died. Only then would the single seed germinate and a new plant grow 
that would produce more and more seed. One commentator has explained it like this in similar terms. Just as the kernel of wheat dies when it is planted, but then produces many seeds as it sprouts and the plant grows to maturity, so too Jesus would die, but the effects of his death would be a vast harvest of people who through faith in him would find eternal life. And perhaps that's why he realized that actually at this point in time he could say the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified because he's aware these Greek guys have come. They've come to uh, come up to uh, worship at the feast. They're not themselves Jewish. Nevertheless, they've, they've come um, to, to worship at the feast and they're very keen to see Jesus. And Jesus realizes, yes, I haven't just come to save um, the Jewish nation, Jewish people. I've come to save the whole world. Here are these Greeks coming to because they want to see me. Ah, I can see now that my time has come. The hour has come. I'm going to be lifted up from the earth. And when I do, when that happens, actually all men will be drawn to me. That's what he goes on to say in verse in 32 of the same same chapter. So. So whilst the disciples often seem to be reeling from the painful predictions, or at least bemused by them, Jesus saw the pain, but he also saw beyond it to the promise, to a plentiful harvest. A big harvest of people enjoying the forgiveness of God that his death would make possible. And for us in this situation right now, it would be good for us to, to take hold of the same perspective that Jesus had. Living with pain, but also living with promise. Living with heartache, but also looking forward to a harvest of people believing in Jesus. Receiving Jesus and becoming children born of God. Jesus died to bring many sons to glory. And that's what we're believing for here in our day, in our time, in this city and right around the world. You know, a single seed needs to be sown. If someone came up to you, And said, look, I have in my hand the most fruitful, productive, single seed in all of world history. And and now I'm going to go and put it in this very special place. I'm going to go and put it in a glass cabinet in a museum. It can have a label, the single most fruitful seed in all of history. Everyone can see it. There it is. Wonderful. Well, okay. But actually, that seed needs to be taken. If it's going to be seen to be the most fruitful and amazing seed that there has ever been on the earth, it needs to be sown. It needs to be placed in the ground. The seed that is Jesus needed to die. Pain. Oh, but actually Jesus was seeing, yes, there is pain. Jesus didn't float, didn't float through life without any kind of 
trouble, as it were, a few verse, well, just one verse on from where we left it in verse 27. Now my heart is troubled, he says. Yet Jesus was facing pain. He was facing the reality of his own personal, unique destiny on this earth. There was pain. But he was seeing beyond it, beyond this seed, beyond the seed going into the ground, beyond the seed dying. He was seeing the seed germinate. He was seeing something coming up from the ground. He was seeing its shoots starting to spread out. He was seeing a plant grow in fertile soil. He was seeing that plant become mature. And then he was seeing how many seeds that plant, his kingdom, would produce. So pain doesn't mean we stop believing in the promise. Often what we see in the New Testament especially is that suffering and glory actually frequently belong together. Which again we we see in this passage because Jesus says it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yes, this is going to prove to be quite glorious. The Son of Man is being glorified. He's being lifted up. And actually people are going to be drawn to him. So in time, in time, it wouldn't necessarily be at this exact moment, but in time the disciples would look back and see the glory in Christ's suffering because of the fruits it produced. And so for us, in the midst of pain, let's also keep believing uh, in the promise and in harvest. Let's, let's allow this suffering in us to produce perseverance, that perseverance that produces character, that character that produces hope and that hope that doesn't disappoint us. Let's be persuaded that uh, there must be more than this, not less. You know, the disciples, they had that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, thought "This this is such a great moment, can't we stay like this? Can't we stay here? This would be so... This would be so good. You could establish your kingdom from this very point and it would be glorious. And so why don't we just nail up some sheds? Um, well, in their experience thus far, that had been the highlight. And I'm sure they'd always look back at that time and think that was so, that was so remarkable. In fact, Peter does refer to it later in, in one of his letters. Such a remarkable time. But actually the journey went on. And that didn't remain an isolated high point. There must be more than this, not less. And for us, that's also, that's also the case. So a painful prediction, a potent promise. And lastly, we see a personal pattern, a pattern. Or an example, something to follow. The train of thought goes, as it were, from Jesus' completely unique death to actually a way in which his life and death would be uh, imitated. So in verses 25 and 26, Jesus went on to say, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus' death was completely unique, and yet at one and the same time, he provided us with a pattern, an example to follow. Uh, there was not only to be a harvest of people able to call God Father, 
but also a harvest of people who would live their lives as Jesus had done. Jesus didn't love or treasure his own life so much that he weren't willing actually to give it up. He saw something else and so uh, that he gave his life he gave his life for. Jesus obviously is is keeping his life for eternal life. And obviously that that pattern extends to us as well. Jesus is the prime example of a man who did not love his own life. He denied himself for our sakes. Paul writes to the Philippians and he describes it as this. Being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That was the attitude that Jesus had. And he was seeking a harvest of people who would have the same attitude, who would serve him and follow him with the same approach to life. Arnold is a great example of someone who served and followed Jesus in this way. A humble, spirit-filled man who rarely put his own life first. At many times, Mark and I could be absolutely flabbergasted by his diary, uh, by his schedule. Um, he often gave the impression, uh, and I'm sure he might have tried it if he could, of being in more than one place at the same time. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? You're, you're teaching a leadership training. All right, you're, you're popping down to somewhere, but, but you are preaching on Sunday. Oh, and the CU have asked you, and you're going to go and see them on Monday night. Right, okay. But he was a man who'd seen something. He's a man who'd seen Jesus. He'd seen what Jesus was for. He'd seen something of the plants that would grow up because that single seed died. And then his passion was to serve. His passion was to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So yes, he could have given the distinct impression of someone who, who if, he'd, if he'd been able to, would have been in more than one place at one time. Um, but that was because he'd seen something. He was captivated by something. He was captivated by God's plan here on the earth. A church that was passionately and zealously in love with the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and fully taking a part in his kingdom here on the earth. And so he wanted to serve that great, great end. So Arnold gives us a great example of someone who followed the prime example, uh, that is Jesus. It, it may be at times tempting for many of us to think, uh, what would Arnold say? What would Arnold do? Um, it's great to see so many of the, the tributes and the comments uh, that have been posted uh, on Facebook, just sharing memories of, in fact, what Arnold has said <laughs> and what Arnold did do. And kind of personal moments um, that have kind of particular rich meaning for individuals. There'll be many of us, um, probably quite a number of guys who think, actually, yeah, I've, I've had time with Arnold one-on-one. And part of the grief for me is I think he understood me better than anybody else. And again, it can be this strange experience. This is God's strange training me- methods. 
Why did you take him now, God? Because, okay, yes, we've had as a church 15 years, but it surely would have benefited the kingdom of God to have him for longer. Um, well, perhaps, but as, as, as has already been said, maybe as, already, as we've already sung, God is in control. God chooses to do things in a way that fits his uh, perfect plans. They involve a measure, as we've seen in this passage, they involve a measure of pain. But they also involve promise. And they involve a wonderful pattern for us to follow. Arnold is a wonderful pattern for us to follow. But I think that he himself would advise us strongly, in only the way he could, perhaps with the raised eyebrow, to think more biblically than, what would Arnold say? What would Arnold have done? Because I don't think Arnold walked through life thinking, cool, I've not come across this situation before, but what would I do? <laughs> what would I say in a situation like this? Um, it may sound uh, twee because it's the kind of thing that you can buy on a bracelet in certain shops, um, but what would Jesus do probably does actually help us a bit more, and I think Arnold would encourage us uh, along those lines. And so rather than always asking ourselves, what was it Arnold used to say? How, how did he handle a situation like this? He, he must have known something about conducting a Thanksgiving service. Um, we need to remember to ask ourselves, what does God tell us in his word? Yes, we can take inspiration from Arnold's ex- ex- example. We can ask ourselves, what, did, what had Arnold seen? But then we need to recall, actually, what he'd seen was in the Word of God. And actually, we have that with us um, all the time. So I do hope that uh, in, in some small way, uh, looking at this passage uh, will prove helpful. Um, it is just kind of taking the first few steps, really, at a painful time. Uh, there'll be other uh, scriptures that will help us. Uh, we look forward um, uh, later on in January also to have Jeremy come and, uh, and meet with us uh, on the 6th. Um, Mark and I, and I know many others, just found him incredibly helpful and supportive uh, when he came to stand with the church on Monday night. Um, and we look forward to, uh, to receiving him. There'll be other times uh, where we're, we're getting hold of things. Understanding is is growing, we're, we're coming to terms with pain. Um, that won't be an instant process. But hopefully what we've seen here at least continues to get the ball rolling on that front. Painful circumstances don't nullify the promises of God. And we have been given, in Arnold as well as Jesus, a good example to follow. This passage that we've just been looking at concludes with two wonderful further promises, which I'll just mention before we close, as they encourage us about the one who follows Jesus' prime example. Jesus says, where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Promises for us, to look forward to promises 
that our dear Arnold is now experiencing for himself. Let's pray.